Movement geeks and fellow Pilates lovers, welcome to the Thinking Pilates podcast, where we're having rich and every so often out there conversations about the movement and mindset of Pilates and how it just might help us all to be better humans and a happier community. I'm James Crater, and while I am mostly a movement investigator and consummate nerd, I'm also the owner of Evolved Body Studio in Sacramento, California. And you're often co-host here at Thinking Pilates. I'm joined in this wild venture by my dear friends and colleagues, Chantel Lopez and Deborah Colway. The Thinking Pilates podcast is not only a passion project, but a critical platform for sharing and holding open discussions about movement and teaching. So if you love what we're doing and the mood strikes, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes, like our Facebook page, or share favorite episodes with whomever will listen. And if you do all three, that'd be pretty sweet too, because your support matters. After the show, we'll give you some more details about how you can connect with each of us and uh, probably some details about any upcoming events or projects that we have going down. Quick note before we get started, we love words. And sometimes in our enthusiasm, some of our favorite words happen to have four letters. We hope you love all the words enough that even if you're sensitive to the savory, You've enjoyed your time with us too much to care. So, friends, whether you're relaxing, exploring, or in the midst of squeezing some kind of muscle, let's get ready to think Pilates. So here we go. It is episode two of season two, officially, and we are so, so excited about this episode. Of course, you know, we say that about every episode, but today's guest is so awesome, and the conversation was a total blast. You guys are going to love this. We're talking with Brooke Thomas, who's the co-founder and co-host of a fantastic podcast called Bliss and Grit, which many of you have heard us talk about before. She's also a rolfer by trade and um, just super awesome chick. So it was a great conversation. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. A couple of really quick things before we dive in. Remember that we are now accepting sponsorships for the podcast, and that's a really, really exciting opportunity for community members, organizations, and um, like-minded business people to share what they're doing and spread the word. So get in touch with us about that. We'll include all the contact information at the end of the podcast, as well as share with you um, some more information from our current sponsor, our season sponsor, Momentum Fest, which is founded by Jessica and Brian Vallant. So stay tuned to the end. Uh, We've got lots of great resources and information for you. So let's uh, get this dog and pony show on the road, shall we? Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Thinking Pilates podcast. James and I are taking the helm in today's episode. Hey, James, how are you, darling? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, Chantel. Same for you? Uh, You know, good-ish. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Definitely super happy in this exact moment to be talking with you. And we have uh, a very groovy guest on. It's like so much I wanted to say as I was thinking about how to intro this episode. But um, after reading through her website a little bit, I'm just going to say I hope very, very much that shit is going to get weird. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then you have the right person to talk to. 
Absolutely. That is an honor of you. Those are words right off your website. So um, we are speaking with Brooke Thomas of Grit and Grit uh, podcast, and I'm going to let James take over. Um, but one thing I will just say before we move forward, I feel like, Brooke, you are the perfect Thinking Pilates podcast guest. And the reason is because I think having you on the podcast is kind of like um, flying the flag of what makes this podcast unique and different from some of the other things that we, we you know, have in our community. And um, I think that's going to become really clear as we chat with you, um, just the essence of what you bring to what we hope to bring to our community. So I, I'm thrilled. Well, thank you so much. Better. I'm thrilled yeah. too. Yeah. So James, yeah. over to you. Awesome. Uh, hi, Brooke. Hello, James. <laughs> uh, I have to admit, I'm actually a little nervous <laughs> talking to you. Um, I, have been, I have been a huge Brooke Thomas fan for years and years and years. So this is like one of those celebrity interviews to me. So uh, <laughs> I just got to I wish of... I could teleport you into my living room right now where it's like literally papers exploded and like a cup of tea I meant to put away yesterday. <laughs> so to be called a celebrity is very, uh, I'll take it. <laughs> well, well, uh, you're a celebrity in my world, Brooke. I'm um, very excited to, to have the chance to speak with you. So I have been a fan of, of your work since Fascia Freedom Fighters and Liberated Body and, and now Bliss and Grit. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty familiar with, uh, with your backstory through a number of, of different ways, but maybe some of our audience isn't. So my question is, uh, Brooke, when you meet people, how do you describe the work, the work you do? Like, what do you, what do you tell people? Um, well, I describe it inadequately and I think it probably <laughs> depends on the person, you know, if it's a short conversation, I'll just explain the way that I make my living, which is as a rolfer still as a manual therapist. Um, but if I'm talking to, to people who are, you know, theoretically more, more interested in a longer answer, like the people who listen to this podcast, um, usually what I say is that I'm, I'm a maker. Uh, I find entrepreneur to be a word that doesn't fit me. It's also just been tainted, right? Like with all this sort of weird, pretentious, um, whatever, persona-based um, stuff. So I just feel like I make things. I make projects that I love. I went to art school undergrad, and I think that that's just baked into me since I was a kid. I've always thought of myself first and foremost as as an artist, but more in the sense of just like, I make stuff that I care about and I do it in project form. Mm -hmm. So I'll do things, you know, for a period of time. And then when they're, when they're done, they're done. Um, so liberated body was, um, a podcast that I ran for a period of time for three years and wrapped up recently and bliss and great is currently ongoing. And, um, I'm designed a meditation cushion that I'm about to try and pitch to for a licensing deal to companies. And, you know, so I tend to just like make stuff that I care about. So sure, that's the nutshell version <laughs> of what I do. 
Well, I, uh, that works for me. That works. I think it works for a lot of our population. I think we're seeing more and more, um, you know, specifically within the Pilates community, of people taking the the science of the craft and bringing in sort of the creative aspect of the craft of what we're doing to create bigger and bigger projects. At least that's what's happening in in my immediate circle. So I I get that. I get the the desire to make it. Um, fill a, a creative a creative niche in your life. Yeah, and I think that when we can do it from a um, from a learning place, like I guess from a humble place, I'm going to use that word because there's so much pressure to sort of um, package yourself and package what your dogmatic hook is going to be. Yeah. Um, and I think that we're seeing a lot of fatigue with that, which is great because then yeah. we're seeing all the people out there who are just like inquisitive and passionate and they've dove deeply into something, you know, whether it's movement education or whatever, and they want to keep inquiring and they want to share that process with people. And those are the kinds of projects that I get really excited about. So I, I think we're at the beginning of a sea change where there's more and more of that happening, which is great. I love, I love that so much. I was just telling James recently, like I said, you know, I just like, I feel a little fatigued. I feel like I just want to lie down and stare at the ceiling. And it's like, you know, not that I'm going to stop. I'm not feeling apathetic. I'm just recognizing, I think the fatigue that you're talking about, but I'm feeling also simultaneously super, super inspired and excited about the projects and mm-hmm. I, James and I are, are, you know, project buddies, like to the nth degree, it's kind of stupid, but um, there's also uh, something interesting about the project. I think that is like, it's not like, Oh, I'm going to be this thing or do this thing and identify with this thing. And that's what I'm going to do or identify with forever. And then there's no out, which instantaneously feels like, I will never get there and it will never be good enough. But the project idea, you know, like just like be in it, create it. And then when it's done, it's done. There's something really lovely about that. Yeah. And like, I know some friends and colleagues where they've had a project last 40 years, you know, so it doesn't even need to be short. Like we all have different dispositions that way and, and different projects have different requirements. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But yeah, that it keeps unfolding, that it still has this aliveness instead of fundamentalism, basically, (laughs) of like, these are the answers I'm trying to force feed to people. (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, I think uh, it has a sense of, of, of lack has a sense of detachment from the from the outcome and a sense of involvement of the process of doing that. And I think for me, the fun is the gestation period of it. Like, what am I doing as I'm doing? And sort of not, I don't want to say a disregard for the final outcome, but um, maybe even less care of the outcome and more passion around just being involved with, with what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a different way. It's a different way. You know, it's a different way of working than maybe what we've seen in the past of, of producing a product to sell more of just producing a process to be involved in. Mm, mm-hmm. I like it. So anyways, enough existentialism. <laughs> oh, uh, please. We're <laughs> just getting started, I'm sure. I know. There's plenty of that. Yeah. I love it. 
So, uh, Brooke, what for those people who don't know you, what got you involved in this in this life path? Like, why why this and not and not art, or why this plus art, or why this and not be a, you know whatever else you could have been? Well, I um, when I was in art school, my junior year, I, I had grown up. I had a birth injury, so I grew up with a body that had a lot of um, challenges. I had some neurological issues, and I had uh, petite mal seizures, non-convulsive seizures, Mm -hmm. and uh, mobility issues, like a lot of um, neural tension in my body and uh, chronic pain. And one of the things that that manifested as more and more as I grew up was uh, jaw disorder, so I wasn't able to... By the time I was in college, I would go through long periods of time where I wasn't able to open my mouth very far, and I was just dealing with a lot of chronic pain. So at that time, um, I started working with specialists, doctors, and um, eventually got led to, you know, that whole runaround that so many of the people who find us in, in our practices go through where it's lots of doctors and lots of specialists and lots of time and, um, lots of fatigue. And I found my way to Rolfing and I got better so quickly that I was pretty well sold on the whole thing. I was pretty much a devotee from that time on. And really what it opened up for me, and I remember saying this to my Rolfer at the time, which was 20 years ago now, um, something along the lines of like, yeah, I feel better, which, wow, like super big deal. I mean, I, I became pain-free for the first time in my life in my 20s. Um, so that's a big deal and actually had weird repercussions because when you're not used to being pain-free, you actually have to adapt to being pain-free. Yeah. So we can talk about that some too. But yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> it was that. And then I remember saying to him, like, but you also gave me me. Like you gave mm-hmm. me a connection to myself that had really been missing. And that over these last 20 years has been a constant exploration and an unfolding that has led me to some really surprising places that I didn't think I would be. You know, that my my primary work these days tends to be more, it tends to be in the, the spiritual world or the personal unfolding world, whatever you want to call it, because spiritual is another one of those words that's just like wildly tainted and, yeah. and has become meaningless because of how tainted it is. So let's say like how we relate to life and how we relate to life in an embodied way, like we're be living our lives from within our bodies and a really intimate relationship to our bodies and all of the information that it it wants to give us and how that changes a life. So that's 20 years in a few sentences. (laughs) (laughs) Good storytelling. Precise storytelling. James, I don't, I want to be able to see next time we're going to do video because I want to be able to see the look on your face right now. (laughs) Just like I'm sitting here like with my mouth half, half open and like, like what? I, are you, have you been eavesdropping on our conversations, Brooke? Because <laughs> I feel like, I mean, it's unsurprising, right? That we we connect with people who obviously resonate. And I just think, holy shit, this is definite. This is the conversation James and I and Deborah Colway, our other co-host, and many, many others, this kind of emerging group of, of movement teachers that we 
are you know so fortunate to know what we're talking about like the power of the body uh just to be able to experience life um through the body and and what that what that does and what that is and it's an interesting conversation i think to have particularly in the pilates community because we tend to be very very shy uh when it comes to the idea of spirit or self relationship to self or self awareness it's like oh that's off limits that's not within our scope although we are very happy to toe the line of body mind spirit practitioners which is i mean luckily i think something you know it's a wall that's crumbling but um yeah like i said you're yeah. the perfect yeah perfect. just just to be aware of experience you know whether it's a positive or negative experience just the capability of actually maybe being aware of whatever it is that's that's going on and however you want to classify that positive negative neutral what have you the gift of awareness so you kind of touched on it a little bit brooke of having to deal with um for lack of better words, a new experience, a new awareness of the body and sort of the repercussions that go along. And I think that's a really pertinent conversation to sort of get into because, you know, whether you're a body worker or a movement instructor or anywhere on the spectrum, um, our work often inspires shifts within the body to where the client is then experiencing a different, a different way of being Mm-hmm. And whether you, you know, I think some people, some of us, that's what calls us into the, into the work and other people are called in for different reasons and maybe don't have that experience or the tools to deal with that. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, anything that's maybe not overly ridiculously personal, whatever you want to share of <laughs> some things, or maybe you want to go there. I mean, whatever. No, I'm happy. I'm just laughing because I, I'm for whatever reason, my work life has become a lot about talking about everything in public. So (laughs) (laughs) hashtag Um, same. So yeah. Yeah. So I, um, for me, when I, when I really rapidly got better from a lifetime of, of chronic pain, um, which fluctuated a lot in childhood and adolescence, but by the time I you know, wound up working with these doctors and and specialists, I was in a lot of pain. And then when I got Rolfed, it was just such a perfect fit to my need that I got better really, really quickly, like over a period of um, weeks and, and, and then months. And, you know, it definitely unfolded over time, but the, the volume got turned down on the pain from like a, you know, an eight to a, two pretty quick, which is like a big change when you haven't, um, experienced that. And what I wound up happening for me within my first year after getting my Rolfing 10 series and feeling much better is that I started to have, um, anxiety attacks and the way they would present is not the way you would think where it's like your heart's racing and you're sweating and you're nervous and you're panicked and you feel like you're going to die. It wasn't that it was actually just these, waves of sensation, Mm. but so big, the sensation was so big and it was very wave-like, like like crash and then come back and then surge up, um, that it was really uncomfortable. So of course I grew up, you know, with neurologists. So I was back in the neurologist's office, like, what is this? And 
they screened me for all kinds of things. Are you hearing voices? I was like, no, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not. And they were like, this is, you know, generalized anxiety disorder. You're having anxiety attacks. And it took me a while to put together the pieces. But what happened is that I had always been able to orient in the world and to know that I was somewhere in space by by mapping my body through pain. My body was mapped by pain. And then pain went away. And there was this period of time where I felt like... um, what is it like float tanks or Watsu where it's like the water temperature is the exact same temperature as your body. And you're in this anti-gravity situation. You don't know where you are. You're just floating. Mm -hmm. I felt like, like that because pain went away and my whole map was relied on pain. And then my body was like, where, what is happening? And I had these anxiety attacks. Um, and what happened at that point, I actually got more body work, which really helped um, Mm. me to map myself through a sensation that was not pain, but I had to like put my attention there, put my awareness there. And, um, I had to, you know, start to be more serious about at that time, what was a kind of straightforward mindfulness practice, which I had gotten in the pain clinic that I had been in. That was the beginning of that. Mm. Um, so that really taught me a lot and has stayed with me a lot as a practitioner. And, and they resolved, you know, for the record, they, they resolved, which I just want to say, because I think a lot of people struggle with that and it can feel pretty debilitating. Yeah. Um, and it taught me just how much, like you cannot tug on one thread and not tug on the whole being. Like that's just how that goes. And I have a history of trauma and that was one of the other threads that had been tugged, you know, besides just getting pain-free. It was like, you know, in some ways I got myself back. I got this deep, profound connection to myself. I suddenly felt physically vital and physically capable, which I had never really felt so much. Um, And also a little bit Pandora's box was opened, which was fine because what a relief, you know, to look at that stuff that had been avoided, but it was not what I expected to happen. Hmm. For sure. So so what were your strat, like, as that's going on, what are your strategies for, for dealing, I know body work, but did you have a movement practice or? (sighs) You know, at this time, when you grow up with somebody with mobility issues and stuff, it's so funny too, because like, I think sometimes people hear liberated body and they expect me to be some kind of movement savant. Yeah. And I am very much not (laughs) a movement savant. Um, I got into this work as a broken person and as someone who grew up that way. So it was like, I grew up with a lot of um, shame about my body, like going to ballet Mm -hmm. class. And um, it meant that, you know, not only was not touching my toes, not an option, touching my knees was not an option in a forward fold. So I was that Mm -hmm. kind of rigid as a kid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, other girls in ballet class are like, look at me putting their leg behind their head and (laughs) jumping in the air into splits. And I just like... As a kid, I had so much longing. Like I would look at these girls with their ability to do things with their bodies like this and have so much longing and had a lot of, um, you know, I would do things like get doctor's notes to get out of gym class Yeah. <laughs> when really, I mean, I didn't, I could have done gym class. It was more a way to hide than it was an actual need. You know, I could have run around and done field hockey lesson, but I just wanted to hide. 
And so that lasted for a long time. And it can, like, there's definitely still whiffs of that when I go places. Like when I did my move net training, I thought I was going to die. I walked into this group of like 30 people who were all like ex-Marines, you know? And I was like, oh my God, Um, they're going to find me out. And Wait, what is this? The what? I'm sorry. The what? Uh, move, move nat training, natural movement. So it gets a lot of um, people who are, you know, just very physically vital. You know, they do natural yeah. movement. And yeah. when I was training at the Rolf Institute 20 years ago, 17 years ago, um, something like that, everyone would, of course, it's the Rolf Institute in Boulder, Colorado. Everyone would leave class and go to yoga and be like, are you coming to yoga? And I'd be like, oh, I got a thing. I got really, I can't. <laughs> like yoga was the most terrifying place that I would ever be invited to. And I didn't start doing yoga until um, I was about 30 and yeah. living in Brooklyn. I found a teacher who is still a dear friend, Jonathan Fitzgordon, who was able to treat me with um, just so much respectfulness and compassion. And he never, never gave me the look of what's wrong with you, which I would always get at some point, the what's wrong with you look. And I was pretty phobic of that. Um, So I was not a a movement savant. Uh, I didn't have access to that. That opened up really slowly for me. It was actually the last Mm -hmm. piece. Like -hmm. there was a lot of getting in touch with my body that had to happen before I wanted to other than wandering around in the woods, which fortunately has always been a connection for me since a ki- being a kid. But. Yeah, yeah. So as the physical stuff started to enter into your life and yoga, how did that um, how did that interface with what you were feeling spiritually? You know, you you had mentioned that you felt more freedom in the body and more connected to the body, and then when you started to get more access to movement. Um, did that deepen the spiritual practice? Did that, like, where, how did that, how did that sit with you? You know, the thing that came first for me through movement was agency, like feeling that I had the agency to, to impact my own body. I think I had, you know, just made up in my mind that my body was kind of I mean, it was definitely something to be ignored, let's put it that way, when I was growing up, which I don't think is uncommon. You know, it wasn't just because I had some health issues. And I don't want to paint some picture of like, I'm not trying to, you know, (laughs) tell the, you know, growing up in an orphanage, you know, story. But, (laughs) you know, I did have stuff that made me kind of stand out from the tribe in a way where I didn't want to do things like gym class or or go to ballet or whatever. Um, So initially, movement was like a way to contact a certain like capacity in myself. It was very, it was like a coming home to, first of all, it was a de-shaming, which was a big deal. Um, and recovering, it it was like a way to love myself in a certain way, you know, because with movement, you have all of this contact with yourself, all this exploration and all this interoception and all this proprioception. And it was this, um, it was like a remapping for me in a very, very sweet way. And just, I, I still cannot tell you the delight that I feel every single time I bend forward and touch my toes, which I can do now, by the way, like it <laughs> feels, it still makes me like, and sometimes if I'll really tune into that when, you know, I'm going to yoga class tonight after we speak, um, mm. it just, it, it touches my heart in such a sweet way because it's like such a, a magnificent experience of, um, like that story that we keep telling ourselves every day of our lives that's been written already and yeah. we already know the ending. Like we don't know the ending. Life is so much more surprising 
than we give it credit for. And um, so movement for me personally has always been an avenue and exploration of like um, wonder and love and affection and delight and exploration. And I would hope that that is a part of the spiritual path. You know, for me, it is. I think that a lot of spiritual paths depends on where you wind up. They can get pretty, pretty rigid and and pretty dry. Um, But I would say that because I had this whole trajectory, this whole experience that when I finally landed in um, somatic meditation, which is not movement, it's sitting still Mm -hmm. and, and going into deep interoception experiences, um, that that was why I was able to drop into that in a way that it was just like this very deep nourishing space, you know, because for some other people, it's like, not that, right. It's crazy making and I can't, I can't feel my body and I can't quiet my mind and I can't blah, blah, blah. And for me, it was just like yummy. (laughs) It was like a coming home. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know it's always hard to play like the what if game, but what if you had not done the rolfing and the movement and then you had tried something like somatic meditation, can you predict what that experience would have been like for you? You know, to where for, for those people who don't know what somatic meditation is, it's uh, the work of Reggie Ray and Dharma ocean, um, basically sitting in and feeling your way through the body and experiencing the body from a stillness perspective, but the activity, the sensation within stillness. So like, man, what would that have been like? Yeah. And I just want to say he's one lineage and it's a lineage yeah. that I'm, you know, a part of, yeah. but there's other, other people too doing a lot of somatic meditation, but you know, it would have felt like being in, in prison, which was of course the reason why I had learned to avoid my body in the first place. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um was that it was a very uncomfortable place to be. And I had really quickly written all these stories about, um, you know, being ashamed of it and that it couldn't do things and why is it so tight and all that stuff. So it was, it was a place to be, to be avoided. And of course, like the piece that I'm not touching on, I'm talking about physical stuff because it's easier to do that. And I did that for many, many years mm-hmm. where I was like, it was so great to have this birth injury to lean on and be like, everything's about the birth injury. (laughs) Um, but you know, a lot of that was also a lot of that rigidity was certainly a response to, you know, trauma that I had grown up with trauma and, um, had had some stressors that were too much for my system and my system responded by armoring. Yeah. So that is a part of that too. So being dropped right into, you know, maybe five days of silent somatic meditation in that state would have been a living hell. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the reason I'm, uh, you know, the, that, that was a long roundabout way of, of, you know, bringing it back to sort of this whole, this podcast in the, in the Pilates community. Um, I think often what I see uh, from, a lot of, from a lot of Pilates educators is they'll get a client in and their trauma could look different. You know, maybe it is a a birth trauma or a knee replacement or a fall or emotional thing that's going on. And this client has come in, you know, looking for a lifeline of how to re-experience or maybe for the first time ever be involved in their life. And the first thing is, um, you know, a dictation as to, you know, do here, push here or feel this or experience Mm -hmm. that. And I think you just painted a really beautiful picture and, you know, healing can take 
a lot of different forms and take a really, really long time. Um, so what do you think, if you could give advice to Pilates instructors in like a really, you know, concise way, like what, what, what sort of helped you, Brooke, as far as, you know, an emotional, a, a space? I know you said your yoga instructor held space and a, and a lack of judgment and um, empathy for you. So as someone coming in with some sort of trauma and whatever you're coming into, whether it be meditation or body work or a movement practice, what would, uh, what would be some kind advice to an instructor or, or a professional? Well, I would say that, I mean, I think one of the things that people really get from us in our professions is mm-hmm. that they have an opportunity to be deeply seen and deeply mm-hmm. met. And mm-hmm. there are not a lot of spaces for that in our culture. So yeah. we actually do really, really sacred work. And like we're keeping a flame alive of something that is deeply needed in our culture. Mm-hmm. So if you can just, first of all, know that about yourself. Like this work is sacred. And I mean, you know, standard, get someone on the reform or do Pilates. I don't mean that you yeah. suddenly need to be giving them some kind of spiritual lesson. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, whatever it is we, we already do, right? Massage yeah, or Pilates precisely. or yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can approach it knowing like just by really seeing this person and doing that with tenderness, and I would even say affection, um, it's so deeply healing and it's so needed. And tenderness really is the most powerful force in the universe. Um, If we can hold that for people, and I don't mean in that kind of fakey, fakey, um, baby, you know, I mean like, (laughs) nothing, I'm not trying to like, invite all of us to put some kind of saccharine layer on what we do, but just like genuine affection for the human condition, right? Like that we all have our stuff. Mm -hmm. We all got our story. We've all got our bodies. Our bodies all tell some part of that story. And so there's no, we don't need to push an agenda on them. There's no rush. Mm -hmm. There's no finish line that they need to cross. It's like just two human beings, or if you're doing a group class, you and all the human beings who showed up, having an opportunity to really meet in this sacred space of just like, we're here together and we're attending, you know, like we're, we're really attending to the body. I think that that just holding that frame about our work is so powerful. I feel like we could end the whole fucking podcast (laughs) with that. (laughs) That's, that's the point, right? Like that's, that's the point. We need more sacred spaces where people are just allowed to be human beings and they're seen and they're held in, you know, great regard. And we get to do that. Like we get to love people for a living, really. Um, Mm -hmm. How great is that? And like, Mm -hmm. you know, in this kind of secret agent way, we're like, we're also teaching them Pilates while we're doing that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, it is so perfect and simple too, because- we've been in conversation a lot about how it's very, very easy. I think, I mean, of course I'm probably, I mean, not probably definitely, you know, biased, but I think that in Pilates, we easily fall into this trap of we're doing Pilates to somebody, you know, that there is a right way 
Yeah. Well, I and, think we all do that, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the culture we live in, right? Is like, we're all objects yeah. delivering something to the other objects yeah. out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it infects everything, which is why when we can kind of come back um, and remember that that's not a deeper reality, um, it just changes things automatically. Yeah. Well, we have talked also, James and Deborah and, and others on the podcast about like, look, you know, we're, we, we don't want you, and you, you touched on this, Brooke, a little bit. It's like, you don't have to go out and get another training or become a somatic psychologist or a rolfer or anything. Like, don't do anything different, but potentially just showing up with this idea of tenderness could change everything. Yeah. And that's like, that is so sweet. And what a relief, right. To think that we don't have to go out and fix ourselves another, you know, in order to better fix other people. Like what yeah. a trap. And we don't have to suddenly start acting like we have PhDs in psychology yeah. in order to be of yeah. service, you know, people. Right. And I think we've all seen this, like when we really um, spend our time with our clients dropping into this space with them, uh, we we don't have to talk about anything except their ankle, right? <laughs> yeah. If and you'll still notice that their lives start changing. <laughs> they'll they'll come back in next week or over the months or over the years, and you'll just see that there's it is lighting a spark within them. And I think that it's mm-hmm. because um this kind of connection just does that automatically. It's not because we have to suddenly fill our brains, you know, with more information or more qualifications. I mean, of course, if we're called to do something, then great, do it. But not because you think you need to get that before you can be of service. Yes, 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 Mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. So I want to backtrack just a bit. Brooke, what led you to create Liberated Body? Well... I had been in the field for a long time at that point. Actually, the way it started was I thought there's certain things I'm always talking to about my clients. It had much more of like a mechanical approach. Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't it be great if I could, at that point, I'd already um, made some online programs and things like that. So I was familiar with how to do that. And I just thought, wouldn't it be great if I could just say these things, but um, online, you know, so that I could point my clients to the video of me doing constructive rest and and then there they have it and I've shared it with more people than the just one person in my office. So it started in in kind of a more mechanical um, give people self-care tips and tricks. And at that time, and I still am, you know, I was very involved in the yoga tune-up community, which is I think a great community of, you know, self-care. Mm-hmm. So that was really influencing my work at that time. And I still use that work today with my clients all the time. Um, and then <laughs> it's so funny to think about the trajectory because it wound up becoming a totally existential conversation. <laughs> <laughs> then what I thought was, okay, I have some good self-care tips from being a rolfer for so long. And I've shared them with people on this site wouldn't it be great if I could talk to all the other people out there who do this for a living and get their views on the body and what is it we're actually doing here and how do we really help people? And then we'll put together the perfect toolkit because it'll be crowdsourced from all these really smart body nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll be able to hand people the the perfect map <laughs> was really my thinking. <laughs> and, and fortunately, you know, the project 
took me to a much deeper place because I talked with such phenomenal people yeah. who, who aren't just trying to hand over stiff rules. Um, and so it just kept deepening and deepening and deepening the conversations until it was like, what is a body? A body is not at all what we think it is. What are we doing here? How do we actually help people? How do people actually heal? What is pain really? What are mobility issues really? So it just exploded for me all of the ways that I had thought about the body and um, honestly changed the way. And, and I know this sounds like a cliche and like something someone would say on a podcast interview, but it, it genuinely changed me in a very deep way. Yeah. And yeah. it changed the way that I see everything. Like well, I will never see the world the same way again. <laughs> totally, totally. You know, and I think anyone who was a fan um, of, of that podcast, I think we all feel the same. Um, and so I'm wondering as, you know, as a, as a Rolfer, you know, you have a, a distinct view of, of this helps, this doesn't, this is this, this is that. And as all that new information is coming in, how did that change your work? You know, like what, um, how did you, how did you integrate new information into work that, that you already knew was successful? You know, I think it did the same thing that a lot of the listeners were doing because I was having this conversation with friends of mine who listen to the show. I actually work within a large um, Pilates studio. Hello, Aldrich Pilates in New Haven. So a lot of my friends are Pilates teachers. Um, yeah, good, good people, good movement educators over there. And so we would all be talking about it when I would go to work because it's a large studio. And, you know, then people would email me and I had the same thing they did, which was this kind of treadmilling, like, oh my God, now I have to read this book and now I have to do this training. And like, <laughs> so no people thought that like I was on it, you know, but they felt like that. But no, I felt like that. I felt like, okay, yeah. I, now I've talked with this person and they blew my mind. So I need to read every book they've written. I need to go to their trainings and get certified <laughs> in their method. Um, and it just became you know, it was such a, a fire hose that fortunately it didn't work for me to like grab at learning and mastering everyone's information that had yeah. come on the show. Um, and honestly, what I needed at that time in my personal life, um, I started Liberated Body at the beginning of, um, or at the end, or I don't know, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in an experience that was really challenging. I was uh -huh. dealing with um, some really rough stuff. And it was, in, in another way, it was a project for me to learn something I was passionate about and honestly have something to do that yeah. wasn't just like healing from a trauma. Mm -hmm. And so at a certain point, the, there was this fatigue of like, okay, I started this project as a passion project and because I, I, was, I knew healing from something as well. Um, but now I feel overwhelmed and tired. And what I really need is like deep sustenance from the body. And my friend, Vanessa Scotto, who I do Bliss and Grit with now at that mm -hmm. time before we were doing Bliss and Grit, she was like, hey, if you're into to mindfulness and if you're into the body, you should really talk to Reggie Ray. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, there's so many interesting people in the world. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and I kind of ignored it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're super. Thank you. I mean, she's one of my best friends, so I took it a little more seriously than that. But, um, and when I first listened to some of his teachings that they just have on their website, um, it was just one of those funny moments. Like I wasn't looking to suddenly be on a spiritual path at all. 
And I listened to him and I think, you know, seven seconds in, I was just weeping in my living room. And, and then I started doing some of the free online meditations at home. And then my life started to really change in a, in a fairly accelerated way. And I was like, okay, something's happening here. So then, then the path became about that. And at that point, it wasn't so much that Liberated Body was like me trying to collect everything. It was like, oh, there's this deeper layer here, which is sort of what I was saying before too. Like if I were to give anyone advice, I would give people advice from that deeper layer of like just contacting humans and letting them be human and you being a human too, really super nourishing. Yeah. <laughs> so that was sort of where that landed me. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, for those people who, who maybe are not familiar with Liberated Body, is there an episode to you um, that you're especially proud of or an interview that uh, is especially touching that maybe you could guide someone towards? It is so hard. It, I know. I was thinking, I was, <laughs> I know who mine would be, but. Um, oh, well, I want to hear that too. But before you bias me. Yeah, exactly. See what my honest answer is. <laughs> You know, I would say, like, there are a few that come to mind. Like, I would say, yep, yeah, Wall, and I would say, um, that, that's I would say, ours. oh, really? Nice, nice. We'll talk about that one more. I would say Dan Keown was another one, too. Uh-huh. But when I think, like, what was the most, who was the most influential person? Like, when did things really start to change for me and mm-hmm. with that project? And it was talking with Bo Forbes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Bo is such a high integrity human being. And she was this bridge between the world of yoga and the therapeutic world for me, Mm -hmm. which I really needed at that time. And it really changed the thrust of the work. And also just the fact that she is, you know, a important hub in the wheel of interoception. And I was like, oh my God, there's a word for that thing. That's a thing. Oh my God, people are researching it and they're discovering that people's lives change the more they can connect to it. So, you know, and Bo became a friend. I didn't know her before the show. Um, and she really is such a remarkable and genuine human being. So talking with Bo changed me and changed the thrust of the show a lot too. So I gave you three. (laughs) That's the best I could do. Over, overachieving works for us. Four technically, because I interviewed Bo twice, but. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, it was the Yob Vanderwall interview was just like, came through the airwaves and dove right into the pit of whatever there's the pit of and just Mm. filled it up. Um, Mm. I mean, that was, that was an amazing, amazing interview. Just everything he had to say. What, as you were listening to that, did you know that that was special or was it after you listened to it or how did that interview Oh, well, that was one of those ones where it was legend. Yeah, like, how did you even talk? (laughs) Like, literally, I would have just been like, okay, just keep talking, and then just talk more, and then just talk more. Yeah, and I knew, you know, because I've been reading Yap van der Waal's work since I was at the Rolf Institute, you know, so 20 years of admiring his writing. um, And then I saw him at the Fascia Research conference mm-hmm. congress <laughs> i'm like i know i'm saying it wrong uh, they, they, um, they, it's both <laughs> and his was the one talk because like of course fascia is like so hot right now and mm-hmm. you go to the congress and there's so much inf- interesting information and there's a lot of people who are just doing 
taking fashion and doing the same thing we do with everything, just make it a body part, make it dead matter. And I just was like, ugh. But then I went and listened to Yap Van Der Waal speak and it was like, thank you. He was the only person there overtly talking about connecting um, spirit and matter and Mm -hmm. fascia particularly with spirit. And so that was one of those interviews going in. I knew you know, just because I know him and I'd seen him speak publicly and I read his work, I knew he was going to be mind blowing for me. And I was nervous as hell. Oh my sure. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, embryo is soul. Soul is embryo is like, just shut the book right now. Yeah, like, no, it changed me completely. And I, you know, I've talked with some people who feel that way about that interviews and others who are like, yeah, it kind of lost me and it's fine. It really doesn't matter because yeah. like we're all in our different places. But if it hits that sweet spot, it's the sweet spot where you're like, I know this sounds silly. And I said it to him in the interview, but this is one of those things that just keeps, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Like when you really understand what aliveness means, like mm-hmm. the microsecond unfolding constant live process you're never not becoming. Holy <laughs> shit. You know, and like yeah. that's what his interview did was connect to that, which is so potent. I mean, that that really does change your everything the more you can actually experience that as something other than a concept, you know, as your reality. Yeah. yeah. One yeah. So I don't even know what to say about that. I I, I don't know who listened to it first, me or James or, or how it worked out, but I think, I don't know, not that I expect you to remember this Brooke, but I listened to it on my way to see a friend and then had another profound experience. I had like a day of profound experiences that I can't now like even track what happens exactly. I, I honestly don't even know what to say about that interview, except for I'm sure I was crying. And I, it's just like, oh, I think one of the things that struck me the most is how matter of fact and confident and clear he is about this. You know, it's like, there's just no question. Like, this is just the way it is. And, yeah. you know, I... I could not even begin to recount what he said. There was something transmitted in the way he said it that I think was probably one of the things that struck me the most about it. Just the clarity of of belief um, and like true knowing. You could just tell, right? It's like, I would just believe anything that you said. Anything. <laughs> 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 Yeah, it's not, it wasn't just that, you know, it was, it w- resonating with what I suspected and, and what I think I understood about the body. But above all else, I think there was just this uh, receptivity on my end, but I think, um, I don't know, just this magnificent, humble, simple, I mean, there were, there were moments where I definitely was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. No idea at all <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh now I'm back no, now I'm back but what was that last part I don't know anyway it it was it was phenomenal yeah he's he's That's a it. special human being for sure it's sort of it's sort of in a line with um you know some some points we've brought up several times what could have been a very 
confrontational theory of what is or what is not was delivered with you know clarity and tenderness and presence and uh, respect. And and you're right, Chantel. He could have said anything in that moment, and it would have been like, okay, like I'm with you. I'm I'm I, I'm with you. Like I get it. I get that that's a viewpoint. And whether I want to jive with it or not, it doesn't. You know, it's sort of beyond the point. His he was just so present with what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's someone that we all loved. That's and you don't need so to bad. mention. You don't. You don't need to mention any names, Brooke. But. I'm sure you interviewed at least one person that maybe you disagreed with or more than disagreed with. And from a, um, from a, from a very selfish perspective, how do you stay graceful in an interview with someone that you're like, I just disagree with that? Hmm. You know, first of all, I would say like, I have, I had the great good fortune for this to be a passion project. So Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have some employer telling me you have to talk to so-and-so and and be like, Oh God, you know, it was like, it was all people that I chose um, because I really wanted to talk to them. Yeah. And some, I would say, especially like maybe earlier, earlier on, occasionally it would just be growing pains of me kind of adapting into a different place and being like, eh, this, this view, maybe not so much. Um, there was only one time I had an interview with somebody who was, who was, um, somewhat combative and I Mm -hmm. didn't air that interview. Um, not because we were arguing over anything at all disagreement. I was totally in agreement with this person's work. It was just a personality thing. Um, I would say that one of the things that I struggle with is how much I need to be the good one, the nice one, the likable one. Yeah. And when I, you know, and that's something I'm still working through, not because I need to be the opposite, but because I can, I can gloss along and, um, do the, the giggle, you know, (laughs) to just like I just did, but I'm not going (laughs) to gloss something. (laughs) Um, and I would say that that was one of my learning things and, and is still a leading edge for me is like, how do I, um, how do I do that? So my answer is, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. ongoing. Yeah. But that what I have found is that the attachment to being likable is old. Like it wears thin quickly. It yeah. just doesn't serve anyone, including the person I'm talking to. You know, people don't need to be mm-hmm. coddled. They want to share their work yeah. and they want to know what you think. And um, so I'm working on that. I'll get back to you. Yeah, good. good. <laughs> it's in process. <laughs> I I understand that. Good Lord, I understand that. Um, how did you know it was time to wrap up Liberated Body? when I couldn't bring my mind to do the mental work of it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I've, I've gone through rapid shit. Like we all have periods in our lives where sometimes, you know, it's just life. And then sometimes things have this quantum leap leap period. And the last two years and particularly the last 12 months have been total quantum leap time for me. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like, I, I kept wanting to, bring myself to it. And honestly, I could list to you right now, probably 15 people who I would be thrilled to talk to and whose work I love. So it wasn't yeah. for lack of interest in the body or in these people's work or having any shortage of people who I wanted to talk to. 
it was that every time I would try and go do the work that I had been doing of, of reading people's work, contacting them and making questions, I couldn't do it anymore. And I think it's because one of the things that's fallen away for me, not because this is the good way or the thing that needs to happen for people, but for me, the body as a, as a thing that gets studied is just not nearly as interesting to me as the experience of living from the being of your body. Mm-hmm. And once I made that shift, I just couldn't go through the motions anymore. I couldn't, I wasn't good at really cognitive work about the body. And I think that's one of the things that, that made liberated body interesting. And that was one of its strengths. Um, so I let it have its strength, you know, and then yeah. instead of trying to force it into some new shape, I did what I wanted to do. And it went on to make Bliss and Grit with my friend Vanessa, which is a completely different kind of show where we can basically just talk together as friends about the nuances of living from being and the yeah. unfolding of being. <laughs> yeah. So it was just the personal evolution, really. So what is... What is the mission of Bliss and Grit? Is it to just have the open discussion on experience or do you guys have uh, a, a thing you're, you're doing with it or is it open dialogue? Or So it's been primarily thus far Vanessa and I conversing as close friends who are on a path um, together and, and separately in the world as you know, an embodied spiritual path. And so that invites a lot of questions. Well, what does that mean? You know, like what, and what is it, how do we, if we're talking about like just being uh, integrated, nourished, high functioning, um, aware human beings, our truest selves, like what does that mean? And how does that go? So we talk about things that are up for us as people. And then we also talk about things that um, relate more specifically to the path, you know, ideas that might come up about non-dualism or um, Buddhism or embodiment more broadly. And more recently, we're starting to bring on spiritual teachers who we really like and just have conversations with them, which is different than Liberated Body because so far it's just much more conversational. And less like an interview, like a book interview or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more talking from being than about being. Mm. We love Bliss and Grit. Yes, my, clients, my clients love Bliss and Grit. I've gotten a lot of them attached to, uh, to the podcast. It's, you guys are doing really wonderful work over there. Thank you. We're having so much fun. I mean, when we're not having total vulnerability hangovers, which we do every week, but... Mostly we're really, (laughs) really enjoying it. It's really sweet to explore. I have, I feel like I have a group of people who every time I listen to an episode, I, uh, I immediately send a message to like, you have to listen to this one and particularly (laughs) listen at minute 23 and 52 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) I was listening to the one with uh, Jeannie Zandi. Oh my and god! Again, Talk about vulnerability. Hang oh my god! god. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> well, you know, I was like, James, you've got to listen. And then my my friend and colleague Trinity, I was actually on my way driving up, beautiful into the foothills, and it was kind of overcast. It's like perfectly the perfect setting and the mood, and I was alone, and and I was listening to it, and oh man, I again, I was just like crying. I was like, you've got to listen to this. I, I'm going to listen to it again and again because 
I don't know exactly what she said. <laughs> yeah. Experience, uh, which I love. I love that. I love it's like where you can listen and you can go, yes, yes, yes. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait, mm-hmm. wait a minute. Okay. Yes. You know, it's just like that, that um, it's lovely to feel like you can be on board and also just fall into a total rabbit hole of like, what is that? What is she talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That. Yeah, that that interview in particular, that conversation in particular, but I find, you know, several of them have this effect where it's such a beautifully raw experience. The conversation uh, you and Vanessa are having or a guest is just such a beautifully raw experience that it's almost too much to take in all at one time. And I find that I have to go back and re-listen to it because it's it's like a nervous system threshold overload thing. It's like, okay, that's enough feel. That's enough feel. We got to shut this off for a moment and <laughs> just drive or just whatever and then come back to it. And the genie one, oh, oh my God, it was like exponential like that. I think I listened to that interview, honest to God, like four times of just going. Yeah, genie and, is um, weeping. Yeah, she's good medicine, you know? Yeah. So listening to her, and I think, you know, to our credit, like that we, that we also gave ourselves permission to be with Jeannie mm-hmm. instead of to, you know, interrogate Jeannie or to try and pin down definitions of terms or mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing, which like there was two seconds where I was like, maybe we need to define dark night. And it was just like, nope, nope. we got to nope. just be right <laughs> in it. Um, we got to just really, really do it here. And um, yeah, she's just so good at really living from being. And I think that when you encounter people who do that, who are deeply embodied and really living from there, um, very actualized in their embodiment. And there's not, I think we've got a lot of them kicking around on planet earth right now, but there's not a ton, um, in general. Uh, it is, it's such good medicine, you know? So just to listen to them, it's like, um, I was with my friend Christina on retreat recently and she was talking about a different spiritual teacher and she was saying, it's like, I'm the pancake and she's the maple syrup. I was like, yeah, that's what it feels like. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like the perfect way to describe just a good teacher student relationship, right? Like the marrying of two, two things that are meant to be together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, James, do you mind if I ask a, I'm going to go back for just a second. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. Um, So uh, just because I think it's potentially relevant to the teachers that are listening. And I think it's interesting because I've struggled with this myself in different ways, but you mentioned Brooke, when you, when you got to that place where you kind of knew that liberated body, like there needed, it needed to be in, you know, ending and something else was, was ready to take place that you were moving away from the study of the body as a, as a thing to be studied, the body to be studied, um, and into this different place of understanding, you know, embodiment or living. How did that affect your work as a rolfer? Because it's, you know, I mean, on the surface, it's just, it's very, very physical. So do you feel like it changed the, your investment level or the way you approached your work? because I certainly have had that experience in some way. Uh, I feel like I've been going through that experience a little bit in the last few years about, you know, working with the body, you know, practicing Pilates and teaching Pilates, but being very much less interested in what 
the body itself is doing and, and more interested in all the other things that are there. Yeah. Um, I would say at the earlier stages of that, that what I felt was a certain kind of frustration. Like, I don't want to just talk about your back, you know, your, how your back hurts or something. This Uh was a while ago. And nowadays, um, it's actually made my rolfing work like I find so much more sweetness in it. Like my work is transitioning where I'm starting to do more and more mentoring work with people and Bliss and Grits taking over more time. And, you know, Vanessa and I will wind up running retreats and things like that. So it's not that it's not going to and is evolving. It is. But still, you know, when I show up in my office and I see a day of clients, there's holding the frame, understanding that what I'm, that I have the privilege to, have this time and space to really deeply contact another person um, makes it really sweet. It makes it much sweeter and much more enjoyable for me, actually, because I'm not trying to deliver to them all the right answers. And I'm also not being obnoxious, like, don't worry about your back. It's all good. You know, I'm not (laughs) doing that either. I'm not like if somebody is telling me about their pain, like I'm using drawing on all of the knowledge that I have about the body that, um, you know, I've gained over the last 20 years. So it's not like I've chucked it for some sort of gauzy idea of, of the body. But I think that the larger frame being, um, that I get to love people for a living has really changed my work and my practice is really busy. So I think people are feeling fine about that. And, (laughs) you know, sometimes we have conversations about gait patterns and bags that are too heavy and what sacroiliac instability looks like over the long run and what things to avoid. So we have those practical conversations, but the larger frame um, is a little different. Mm. It's it's meaningful to me, I think. And uh, James, maybe you can, I don't know if this has been your experience. I'm assuming that probably since we share a brain, it is, but... (laughs) um, there it's interesting to recognize in myself the initial like uh petulance or stubbornness of like i'm look at me i'm so lofty i'm moving to a different place of understanding and i'm better than just teaching pilates or i'm better than just mm-hmm. teaching the body and then i and then and then it creates a lot of resistance right a lot of tug and pull and um a feeling of i'm doing this thing but i don't want to be doing it this way. And so I'm going to not like it because I want to be doing something else instead of, uh, instead of what you're speaking to, I think, which is, it's, it's not, doesn't have to be that just that you can show up in a different way for the thing that you do. And it's very different. I mean, that's what we said before. It's like, Oh, take your own advice, lady. I guess. Well, and I think that the irritation phase is a natural one and it's not, it's not a problem either. Like, cause I've certainly been there where it's like, and you know, I, I was irritated with the vestiges of how I had approached it before, where I had treated the body more like an object. Yeah. I was irritated with that approach. So I needed to feel irritated in order to say, oh, this is what I'm irritated about and to change it, you know, and just to give a, a tangible example, because tangible examples help. Um, something that I see a lot and probably Pilates teachers see a lot is that people have these ideas about their posture, right? Like it's just this very basic universal thing. Everyone thinks their posture is the worst 
and everyone right. has an idea about what they need to do to fix it. Yeah. And it, no matter what their idea is about how they're the worst and how they need to fix it, it always involves treating themselves like an object that can right. be bullied into submission. If I just pull my neck up and pull my shoulders back, and if I just consciously force my body into the right shape, I'll have good posture. Now, we all know that if that worked, we would all have perfect posture, but it doesn't work because bodies are way more complex than just being bullied into submission. Just just every single second, think about every part of your gait pattern when you walk and you'll be great. Like it doesn't, right. it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so what's great is that I still encounter this literally every week, multiple times a week. And so it's this wonderful chance to give them an opportunity to experience that they have intrinsic support. Mm. And that intrinsic support is structural, but it's also much larger than that because it's this whole worldview of, are you an object that needs to be bullied into submission because you're doing something wrong and you're a fuck up? Or is there inherent support here already? Support of the ground support of gravity, support of your biotensegrity structure, not that I would use those words with them and make it overly Mm. mental, but that they can have an experience of, oh, actually, instead of pulling my shoulders back, I notice if I move my pelvis into a position where I can feel supported by my legs and my feet aren't clawing the floor anymore, that it automatically goes there. Oh my God, there's support inside of me. And that's Mm. like, so juicy and alive to me. It's so exciting because they're having a spiritual experience (laughs) through their structure. You know, they're getting a larger view of what they are and what their place is in the world, but just by talking about your standard postural complaints. So that's one of the ways, you know, in, in a tangible way that the work has changed. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to what you mentioned earlier, your own experience of moving into movement practice and and that initial uh, feeling of agency, right? And how, uh, I mean, just how liberating that is, not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically, right? How uplifting that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say something right now, but the two of you literally just said all of my words. I couldn't possibly <laughs> say anything else. <laughs> I literally have 0.0 other things to say about any of that. Well, okay. <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, I mean, like what else needs to be said? It's, it's find, find what's working for you at the time that it needs to work for you. And, you know, experience it and, and try to find a little joy in whatever that is. I appreciate Brooke too. I mean, I've heard you talk, you know, about this and you and Vanessa and it's like, uh, gosh, I think it was the, the, uh, podcast episode, um, on the nervous system. Um, and it's like, it, maybe it's just not a problem, right? Like, mm-hmm. It is very, very easy, even though I talk about this too all the time, to fall out of it uh, myself in a moment of, you know, like high emotion um, that that having had that experience, it was, right? Or if it was, or it was a problem, um, but uh, it's not, it just doesn't have to be a problem, right? And it doesn't have to feel good. It's like what I tell people all the time. It's like, 
you may be experiencing change, but just know that change does not have to be comfortable. Like, you know, maybe it doesn't feel comfortable. Maybe showing up to teach doesn't feel comfortable and good, but Mm -hmm. maybe that's not a problem, right? Because it's all changing all the time. And yeah, I mean, the more we can invite spaces, like our culture is a before and after photo shoot, right? Like that's what we see all the time. This is what you were like before. You were the worst, you know, and this is what you're like after. You're the best forever and ever. Perfect. And so the more we can invite spaces, we're we're just disrupting that whole narrative that we get force fed constantly. Mm. (laughs) You know, just walk through an aisle in a grocery store and you're going to encounter the before and after conceptual framework, you know? Um, talk to a friend, talk, you will, you'll see it everywhere. And so the more we can just invite spaces that let all of our humanity and our aliveness come to the table, everyone wins. Like it's just a much yeah. juicier way to live life. So I think it's so great when we can do that in our teaching spaces and our mm-hmm. practice spaces to just let people be human beings and not problems to solve. Yeah. Mm. Sweet. So lovely. Sweet. So, Brooke, uh, sort of a theme for our, our, uh, our podcast this season is the theme of celebration. So what are you planning to celebrate this upcoming year within your practice, whatever, whatever that might be for you? Wow. What am I planning to celebrate? this year in my practice. I don't know. (laughs) I guess I'm the reason I have a hard time with future, the future (laughs) tense lately. (laughs) And it makes me go "Eh, eh, eh," like I am right now. (laughs) I would say that it's related to what I was just saying before about people coming to my office and that it doesn't have to be like, I think like a lot of us, I tend to go, okay, not this, then throw all that in the trash. What's next? Like, what's the new thing I'm going to do? You know, which I could do with um, Rolfing or Liberated Body or all these things. And it's like, no, it's just how, how does it inform whatever's happening right now? So mm-hmm. if what I care about is that people feel like they can be human beings, and that they can be held in tenderness and that there is inherent support in life and in the world and in their bodies. Um, I celebrate that I get to deliver that now, you know, like at any moment with any client mm. and not once I, you know, am fully over there doing that other thing, you know, that I'm working towards. Yeah. So I guess I'm celebrating the ability to to be more in the moment and to let all those moments be informed by everything that's come through. Awesome. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, sounds good. (laughs) And we're done. Uh, Thank you so much, Brooke, for having this conversation with us and letting me personally live out my, um, my dream of having a conversation with Brooke Thomas on the air. I really That's so it. sweet. I'm so nice. flattered and so humbled. Both of you are, are lovely. It was really nice to talk with you. Thank you for doing your work in the world.
God, what a great episode. Thanks for listening, you guys. As always, we are thrilled to hear your feedback, and we love to know that you're enjoying the podcast. So if you are, um, consider taking a second right now to get onto iTunes and leaving us a review. That would just make our day. Before we go, we have some special things to tell you about. And first is our season sponsor, Momentum Fest. Momentum Fest is founded by Jessica and Brian Vallant. The festival takes place in Denver, Colorado this coming June 22nd through 24th, 2018. And it's going to be held at the Omni Interlochen Hotel in Broomfield, Colorado. Now you can find out all the details on Momentum Fest at MomentumFest.com. Pretty simple. They've got some awesome opportunities. They have a wonderful volunteer and ambassador program. And of course, you can also become a sponsor or a vendor of the festival. Really, really looking forward to this experience. And um, from the buzz that I've heard and from conversations that I've had with other teachers, it's going to be just one big, giant, good time around movement and celebrating being in the body and moving in all kinds of wonderful ways. I thought we'd do something a little extra special in this episode and uh, give you a sound bite from our interview with Jessica Vallant, where she's talking about the origins of Momentum Fest. June <laughs> is the inaugural Momentum Fest, and I'm so excited. And um, it is, some of you have heard of it, and um, your two lovely hosts here are involved. I'm just so honored and humbled and so we are putting it on in Denver. It's a three-day Pilates and Movement Festival, and it kind of came about seven years ago. I went to a yoga festival with about 15 girlfriends on Oahu, and we took six yoga classes in a day. We went to a music party that night, came home, oh yeah, came home jello-y. I couldn't feel my body, and the biggest smile <laughs> on my face. <laughs> And the biggest smile on my face. And I turned to my husband and said, why don't we have anything like that in the Pilates community? And I think that is what I've been searching for. We have things for teachers, which we need. We absolutely need and love. And the PMA conference is amazing. And we go and we learn and we take notes and we come back with so many tools in our toolbox. But that is for us as teachers which again, we need, I find that there's nothing that takes us out of that teacher space and puts us back into the student place again, that place where we just love Pilates. How did we fall in love with it? How did we feel? How, how do we feel when we're able to make mistakes on our mat and laugh about it? And everyone can have their legs in a different position in the hundred and it doesn't matter how you breathe. You're just moving mm -hmm. and moving brings us back to that place of love for what we do so that's what I really wanted was the experience of it and I wanted something that allowed students to come too because I feel like there isn't anything in our industry that allows people who just love to do Pilates to come it doesn't matter if you're a teacher or not and so that's that's where it kind of came from and it's really a place to come and have fun to feel community it's inclusive to everybody and I hope everybody comes some of the teachers that they have on their lineup include our very own James Crater, Anula Myberg, Trina Altman, Leslie Logan, and Jenna Savino, among many, many others. So check them out, MomentumFest.com. I really think 
getting on the bandwagon for being a volunteer or an ambassador is a brilliant way to get involved a little bit beyond just buying tickets and showing up. So check out those opportunities and we'll be hearing more about Momentum Fest in the episodes to come. Please take time, if you love what we're doing, to like us on Facebook at Thinking Pilates Podcast and um, check out our revamped website at thinkingpilates.com. We are still working on some new cool stuff, like a new logo, and putting everything in one spot for you to access really easily, but you can see the episodes now at thinkingpilates.com. A little bit about how to get in touch with each of us. You can find our emails on thinkingpilates.com in the show notes of this episode or on the about page. You can learn more about uh, all the other things that we're up to and our individual projects and businesses, skillful teaching, evolved body studio, physical thinking, and all of that good stuff on the website as well. James and I and Deborah are always up to a lot of cool things. If you're in the Northern California, Sacramento area, check out James's workshop coming up January 6th with Anula Myberg at Humani Pilates called Shift Happens. That information is in the show notes as well. James and Anula officially have a tour schedule out, so more about that on the Thinking Pilates website. If you're interested in exploring how to become an expert teacher and not just an expert in technique or special populations. The Science and Psychology of Teaching Master's program is a wonderful and rich curriculum that I've co-created with my colleague Anne Bishop of Body Brain Connect. And we are about to embark on our second year of the program. It starts early February But the thing I wanted to tell you about is that we just released a very cool free educational video series, and I'd love to share that with you. We've included a link in the show notes so that you can access the series really easily. But again, if you happen to be on the Skillful Teaching website, just go check out the master's program and you can get everything you need there, including information about our upcoming three Q&A calls plus a special one-on-one consultation opportunity that we're offering. James and Deborah and I all have a really wacky and varied travel schedule coming up for 2018, so you can learn more about where we're going to be in the world by checking out the show notes on thinkingpilates.com, or if you happen to be on the Skillful Teaching website, just go to the podcast section, and you can learn all about how to hang out with us and do some really cool stuff in person. I think that for now is quite enough about all of us. Just one final huge big gratitude for all of you for listening, for making what we do possible. Until next time.